Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker, and my guest this week is Yifat Oren, CEO of LumiTech, which is the high-tech banking arm of Israel's bank Lumi. Thanks for joining me, Yifat. Thank you very much for having me. From your perspective, what impact is the pandemic, the global lockdown really, having on the global tech startup community? Yeah, thank you for the question. And I actually want to take us a little bit prior to when the pandemic outburst uh, happened. I think that everybody knows that the tech industry has been booming for the past decade or so since our last crisis. Uh, and the main important thing was that the industry was experiencing tremendous flow of funds looking to invest in technology for various reasons, by the way, the lack of interest rates that it was uh, very obvious around uh, the other markets and also the dire straits for technology across all industries. So overall, the tech industry has entered the crisis in a very good situation. Uh, what happened with the outburst was that the tech companies, specifically the earlier stages and those who were still burning cash, uh, had two main uh, uncertainties ahead of them. The first was, what is going to happen to my growth projection? I.e., am I going to see a drop in demand for whatever technology I'm supplying or selling to the market? And the second question was, when are the funds, uh, the VCs, the private equities, the CVCs of the world, when are they going to be back to investing in a pace that's even close to what we've seen up to about February. Um, both of these questions were questions that obviously nobody knew how to answer. And that has led to a very quick action, uh, both by the companies, uh, but also uh, triggered by their investors to overall uh, save money. And what does saving money mean? It means those that had cash on the cap table uh, were looking to cut their burn rates. As I said, they're mostly uh, losing money businesses. Cut the burn rate in a way that you maintain a longer timeline with the cash that you already have at hand. Most companies that we know uh, try to preserve at least 18 to even 24 months ahead of time. Uh, so that will allow them to be less needy of um, uh, capital raise, equity capital raise, and not having to uh, potentially go into some kind of a change in valuation, which was not necessarily benefiting them. Uh, so most companies have very quickly cut burn rates in two ways. They uh, cut a little bit of their uh, uh, personnel and teams but obviously they cut everything that was uh, relatively easy to cut. So marketing spend, traveling spend, uh, nobody was actually <laughs> traveling, so that was relatively easy. Uh, that was the first probably three or four weeks of the crisis. What we've seen uh, very quickly was that the market was uh, in many ways back, not to normal, but I would call it the new normal where it was very apparent that uh, many of the startup companies that were selling technologies uh, were not really hit or they weren't hit dramatically because the world was in a bigger need and more dire straits to adapt uh, technologies. And I'll give you a quick nuance, which I'll maybe get back to later on in our uh, talk. For example, banks uh, that you know, usually the traditional banking system was such that you had branches and 
you know, clients actually had to co come to the office, employees worked out of offices or branches, and all of a sudden, over, overnight, we had to become uh, completely digital, work from home, and do banking with clients that we cannot really see. And some banks were already equipped uh, to that situation, and many were not. And what has happened from COVID is that many of those, um, uh, you know, old industries, quote unquote, had to very quickly adapt technologies and buy technologies. So what we've seen is uh, certain sectors that uh, greatly benefited, um, and obviously some sectors that were greatly uh, uh, hurt because of, you know, the structural changes of, of the world, for example, the lack of flights, you know, all the travel, travel tech industry was, it still is in a, in a problem. Just to summarize this point, I think we, we are seeing a bifurcated market. So we're seeing certain sectors and certain companies that were able to, even during the, the, the hype of the crisis, um, to raise money, uh, not necessarily in hyped valuations, but in, in good valuations, uh, not, not necessarily a, a lower than before. And on the other side of the, the scale, we've seen uh, usually certain sectors or very early stage companies that for them, the pandemic has uh, very much hit their ability to, to come to the market and raise money. So what would you say are the main challenges for, especially for startups looking to raise funds today? The first angle would, would be around which sector the company is playing at. Uh, and, and to continue my statement before, so if you are a cyber technology company, uh, I, I can tell you that most cyber companies that we are working with have experienced a very good era, uh, thanks or because of the COVID-19 situation. The fact that people uh, are working from home has uh, led many, many organizations to get much more equipped with uh, anti-cyber technology. So cyber is an example. Cloud, a lot of the businesses have, have had to move to the cloud. Everything that has to do with digital transformation is cool. accelerating these days. And even things like healthcare, uh, IT uh, are, are essentially, I can even say booming these days. Uh, the, the sectors that are uh, having more of a headwind and not tailwind would be around travel, hospitality. Uh, the, the amount of uncertainty is such that it's very hard to convince an investor to get into a play like that when nobody has uh, uh, even a slight idea when are we going to get back to, to the life of traveling and, and, and you know. Uh, going on vacations the way we were to, uh, until now. The other thing is about, you know, what stage are you when you're going to raise money? So if you're, if you're a later stage company that already has an established business model, that already has customers, that already has some kind of familiarity with the investment world, uh, it could be uh, easier or, or not a total no of raising money over you know, the internet or over Zoom. Uh, you already know some investors, uh, you've been speaking to them in prior rounds, uh, you can send them a lot of uh, uh, hard information about the business, the, ma the mathematics, the unit economics. It's not something that is undoable and we've seen 
investment rounds that happened during during the crazy days of when everybody, at least in Israel, I can tell you, that were home and were able to to do fundraising that is very impressive. So very big rounds. Uh, the other side of it is if you're in the stage of relatively early stage in, in your cycle and you're not familiar with too many investors and you don't have too much mathematics to show and fundraising really depends on you getting familiar with the investor and the investor feeling comfortable with the team because essentially you invest in a team when it's early stage. Those situations are becoming much tougher and I think are suffering a lot more from what I call uh, the globalization and today the deglobalization of the, of the investment uh, world. If until February we've seen uh, essentially the, the VC businesses being uh, almost completely global. We've seen company, you know, VCs from California investing in India or VCs in, in Israel investing in Chicago. I think that the cross-border element that we've enjoyed very much in the world uh, is something that is up to a test these days. Um, my personal opinion, which, you know, early to, to tell, but I think that we're going to see much more uh, local investments, you know, funds are going to invest in their backyard, not necessarily because they're going to physically meet with the team, but because it's easier culturally to gauge for, you know, what is this company like over the phone, as opposed to somebody who comes from a completely different culture you know, you don't speak exactly the same, you know, physical language. And so it would be much tougher to do the cross-border. I do want to say that I was very surprised uh, to see uh, cross-border uh, cross fundraising happening. But those who are happening until, you know, in the last era would probably be accounted for relationships that started before. I think that in the next 12 months, we're going to see whether it's really possible to do a, a full cross-border, zero-touch investments, or is it uh, really tougher than what it looks? Uh, the third element, uh, which I think is, is dramatic, is what are, the governments or what are the governments going to do in order to support their local industry? Uh, so startup companies that are only susceptible to the private markets trends uh, may experience more difficulty compared to nations that are um, deploying dramatic either guarantee programs or actual hard money uh, to inject to the industry. And I'll give you a very specific example, which uh, we're seeing here in Israel is um, the understanding of our government that there is a very dire strait for a very quick injection of money into the industries. So some is being done by guarantees for the banks and some are being done by very, uh, very highly incentivizing programs to make the institutional investors want to deploy money in technology companies. Uh, a program like this is, is going to be launched any day, literally any day now. And the, the overall scheme is such that the government will guarantee up to 40% downside in, in equity investments done by the local institutional investors. 
Uh, I think that such a program is going to be extremely helpful to the market because it mm-hmm. will also will also engage the private market to to sort of leverage on on such money and and allow the industry to continue. Uh, to continue to work and not get into a complete halt, which, which could be a very detrimental thing for any nation's, you know, tech industry. What can banks be doing to really address their the challenges that startups are facing, help foster innovation? And for example, what is Lumi Tech doing to support its customers? Uh, the banking system in general around the world is. Um, organizations that are in a position to be able to deploy uh, money the quickest amongst everyone. Uh, And what do I mean by that? We have, you know, enough bankers, specifically when I'm speaking of LumiTech, we have uh, many bankers who understand technology and where the funding situation uh, is a little bit uh, gentle because you know the VCs are not sure what are the valuations that we need to give those companies. Are we valuing them like we have in, in February of 2020? Do we need to adjust the valuations? All these um, you know thinking is, is prolonging uh, the cycles of the fundraising um, of, of those companies. And what's nice about the banks is that the banks can lend money, without getting at all to the question of, you know, valuation. Um, And what we've seen uh, practically is that very quickly in the beginning of the crisis, uh, we've seen a lot of demand for many companies, not necessarily those that are left with zero cash on the cap table, but actually those that had some cash, that had uh, an equity money left on their balance sheet, but wanted to strengthen their position and wanted to buy more time. And the demand for lending for tech companies have elevated uh, hundreds of percentages to what I remember, you know, a month prior to that situation. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody wanted to pile up money. And those who can actually uh, get money from the banks were utilizing that vehicle to its fullest. And so we've seen companies from all the way from very early stage, uh, all the way to growth companies, also even the corporates, the giants, the the public corporates, everybody who can uh, put money on the cap table uh, via lending uh, did that. Um, And I think that this was a very smart move because you know, the relevant companies that are good companies are going to be good after after we're done with all of this. And those who are, you know, less strong uh, probably weren't able to get uh, money from banks prior to the pandemic and, and obviously not during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen across the board was, was lending that was intensified, uh, which should be able to prolong, like I said before, a company's burn rate, uh, to about to fund burn rates for at least 18 to 24 months. Obviously, at that period of time, uh, we're supposed to be back to some kind of normal, and uh, and hopefully the VC markets are going to be back to where they were, assuming obviously that the money is there. The, the funds have commitments. It's only mm-hmm. a matter of when they're going to decide to deploy them. And then what steps is LumiTech taking to support its customers? 
we became fully digital, uh, working from home, which you know was a cumbersome effort uh, of about two days. Um, we were we had to be completely available to our clients uh, as they needed many many services. You know, almost twenty four seven. We also had a situation specifically here in Israel of. Uh, exchange rates uh, that were going crazy. So many companies needed help in terms of, you know, which which currency do I buy now and how do I hedge my activity? Then very quickly, we moved to, to lending. Uh, we utilize our method- existing methodologies, but we've also elevated the risk that we took because uh, we were able to do it as part of a program which we're part of uh, with the European Investment Fund. I'll tell you that the European Investment Fund has a guaranteed program uh, intended for banks to be, mm. able to, to be able to lend to a riskier sector, which is tech overall. Uh, we've been working with them for, uh, I think, four, four and a half years, but the, the very impressive move that uh, Europe has done was that they created almost overnight a special program with a much higher guarantee amount, which allowed us to to adjust the risk that we're willing to take because of the higher guarantee number. So it went up from 50% guarantee to 80%, 8-0 on each loan, uh, obviously up to a certain uh, level. And this was a very good inhibitor for credit committees to be able to very quickly uh, allow for further lending to the industry. Uh, and, and provide our clients what they needed, which was uh, very quick money, very fast money. My last question is really around Brexit. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic is really dominating a lot of the discussion. Um, but here in the UK, we also have looming the uh, UK's leaving the European Union. Uh, exits that's been going on for quite some time now. However, from your perspective, you know, uh, do you think that London will still maintain its sort of leaning position as a fintech hub post-Brexit? Uh, the UK has been the largest uh, cross-Europe uh, technology hub, uh, specifically also with fintech uh, as the lead. And I think above 80% of all money going into fintech across Europe was was uh, towards companies in the UK. So you've already established your your leadership and i think the main question is how do you maintain that leadership right through through mm-hmm. pandemic and other things um, i think that the main thing that would be uh, was very obvious if i look back 6 or so months ago was and, and by the way not only between the uk and mainly in europe but also between every single nation that decided that tech is definitely something that they need to invest in and every nation that wanted to attract talent and companies mm. were doing many many programs to do that including a favorable tax terms and all kinds of special favorable things uh, to be uh, appealing to whatever tech company looking for a place to you know to establish itself I think that um, what has happened because of the pandemic that nations have other things, you know, on their plates now. And so the winning, the winning nation would be that nation that believes that tech uh, continues to be very important for its industry. 
and we'll be supporting it uh, and helping it to get out of the crisis in a good uh, manner. I think that the UK has already established critical mass in two important th things. One is obviously regulatory, which is something that takes a while to establish. And uh, I don't see the UK, you know, re retracting back from all their all the achievements that you've uh, been able to create. And I think mm. uh, the pandemic is is probably going to be. A, you can you can utilize the pandemic to even take it further away with even more relaxations of, of some of the regulatory things that is that that essentially will have help fintech companies uh, uh, boom uh, within the UK industry and in general. I think that so so that is covered. I think that you have uh, the critical mass of entrepreneurs and VCs that understand that business, uh, which is by the way dramatic. I think criteria for success. And I'll, I'll go back to something that I said before. I think that with a little, little bit of a push from the government in terms of helping those startups to, wet, you know, to help them weather the storm uh, with some kind of a help alongside the private markets, but give some incentives to push more money into FinTech is going to allow uh, your leadership to be maintained and not lose entrepreneurs to other places. Uh, once you're able to, to maintain that situation, I think that given everybody's problems uh, because of pandemic, I don't see them over, you know, overcoming you and, and taking leadership, especially in, in the, such times uh, like we are experiencing today. But I do think that there needs to be some kind of an quote-unquote, semi-artificial boost to make sure that you're still the most attractive place for, you know, for fintech. Uh, you've been that until now, and I think that you can um, obviously continue and, and stay that way. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for speaking to me, Fat, and thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.